Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. We are in a sermon series. We are in a common time sermon series. We're calling it Uncommon Time, and as you can tell by the guy reading the newspaper in flames there, we are trying, we are trying to read Scripture, but we are then trying to, with those same eyes, go back and read the culture and all of the current events. In fact, there is this phrase from Karl Barth that we are using. Go ahead and, there it is. It says, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret your newspapers from your Bible. Please do that. If you can do that, then you'll have a leg up as you try to go out there into the culture that is all the time, that is all the, trying, all the time trying to force you into its mold. The culture is all the time trying to force you into its mold. And the question I have to ask you is this, is that inevitable? Is it inevitable that the culture is going to shape you and push you Maybe. It might be. It might be inevitable. It it reminds me of what is currently my very favorite ad campaign. These are the progressive Dr. Rick commercials, and I I watch them over and over if I can. I just love these things. In fact, I've got two loaded up for you today. All right, everyone, we made it. My job is to help new homeowners who have turned into their parents. I'm having a big lunch and then just a snack for dinner. So we're using a speakerphone in this store. Is that a good idea? One of the ways I do that is to get them out of the home. You're looking for a grout brush. Garth, did he ask for your help? No. 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 We all see it. We all see it. He has blue hair. Okay. Blue. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Keep it coming. You don't know him. We're at the movies and we need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone does, right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home and we turn into our parents. What I do is help new homeowners overcome this. Was that an adjustable spanner? Good choice, Steve. Okay, don't forget, you're not assisting him. You hired him. You have nowhere to sit. You have too many. Who else reads books about submarines? My dad. Yeah. Oh, those are... Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Look at that. (laughs) Is it inevitable? I love those. I love them. I could watch them a hundred times in a row, and I would laugh every single time. Is it inevitable that once you buy a house, you're going to turn into your... Are there forces at work out there that we don't see? Are there forces at work out there that we don't see that have these impacts on us such that when we buy a house and we become an adult, there's just nothing we can do about it. You sort of just become your parents, which is not a bad thing in some of our cases, not totally a bad thing. But Rick, Rick is playing the role of coach. And as this coach, or maybe even as an advocate, you would say, he is trying to help these people to at least recognize what is happening and to try to see how they could be free of these invisible forces should they choose to do so, should they choose to be free. I I have thought a lot about this this week. Um, These are relatively famous verses that again, probably are amongst those, that list of verses that are perhaps in the needlepoint somewhere, maybe in a frame in your house, maybe on a pillow somewhere, maybe it's somewhere uh, that you can see so you are reminded on a daily basis. This, This whole thing about being a living sacrifice, it's a famous concept we'll talk more about. But this whole thing about not being conformed to the world has caused me to think a lot about the culture that is currently trying to conform us. 
It's not lost on me that we are in the middle of a pandemic. And we are all showing the signs of having been in a season of pandemic now for going on six months. In fact, Forbes magazine had an article I read today that was kind of spooky. The pandemic has caused an increase in anxiety, stress, depression, and suicides. We've actually talked about this once or twice during these past six months. But it strikes me that Forbes magazine is now saying, hey, this is going to have an impact on business. Everybody knows, everybody knows that the pandemic is having an impact on us. This is from the article. The CDC conducted a survey of 5,412 people between June 24th and June 30th and collected data on, on the, and the collected data on suicides is alarming. Roughly 25% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 say that they have considered suicide because of the pandemic. About 30.9% of the respondents said that they had symptoms of anxiety or depression, and about 26.3% reported trauma and stress-related disorders caused by the outbreak. Over 13% said that they have used alcohol, prescription, and or illegal drugs to deal with their pandemic-induced stress and anxiety. But it's not just the pandemic, though, is it? There's, there's more than that. On top of that, there's this constant bickering about the pandemic. Mask or no mask, vaccines or not, my freedoms are being trampled upon and threatened and all of that. And then there's the economic fallout. And then beyond that, there are racial tensions that sometimes erupt in the streets. And then beyond that, we are going to be faced with this for the next 70 some odd days. Church, this is my least favorite time of the four-year cycle. Least favorite, least favorite. Because it is, the election cycle is a culture all on its own. It's a culture unto itself. And it is a culture that is going to try to shape you so much so that you finally relent and vote the way they tell you to. It is a culture all its own, complete with pressure. I have already heard this election cycle, well, I don't know how you can be a Democrat. Heard somebody else say, I don't know how you can be a Republican and be Christian. I've, I've heard both sides say it. We are going to, on top of a pandemic, on top of economic downturn, on top of racial tension, on top of all of that, we're going to be in the midst of all of this. It's going to mark you. It's going to shape you. It's going to conform you. Is it inevitable? Are we helpless against the onslaught of images and video and voices that are constantly confronting us at every turn? Yes. 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 I'll say it like this. And I think I'll say this along with Paul. If you aren't being transformed then you are being conformed. If you aren't being transformed by this holy capital O other, then you are in fact being conformed. Truth of the matter is, I, I really think this time, this era, we're gonna come back to that word in a little bit, would have felt somewhat familiar to Paul, and not only Paul, but to the people, the church in Rome. We, we say it every week because it's worth reminding you every week. 
This is a time of great tension. The culture was full of tension. Even within the church, there was an us versus them mentality. There was a culture that threatened to conform all of these believers if they weren't busy being transformed. There was significant tension and stress and division and hatred in Rome, even within the church, when Paul wrote this letter. Imagine if they had had Facebook way back when. Imagine, imagine what the Jewish Christians would have said about the Gentile Christians. Imagine what the Gentile Christians would have said about the Jewish Christians. I imagine it would have been something like this. I don't even know how you can be a Christian and be a Jewish Christian. I don't even know how you can be a Christian and be a Gentile Christian. They would probably forward all of these weirdo conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. My suspicion is that we aren't all that different a couple thousand years later than what they were back then. There was a culture that shaped people in ways that were counter to the gospel, even in the church. Okay, I want to give you ears to hear this passage of scripture. Let me give you some filters. You are not going to understand this passage of scripture if you hear the words of scripture and then this sermon and experience it individualistically. This is a sermon, this is a text that is preached more to all y'all, that's how we say it here, than it is to any one of us. Now, you participate, obviously, as individuals. But it is a word spoken both in scripture and in the sermon. It is a word spoken to all of us, the gathered up people of God. We are to have on our corporate ears. Maybe I should say this here and I'll say it again later. Not just here and not just in this sermon, but I would submit to you that we'll come closer to getting the gist, the gist of Christianity if we will understand it as a team sport. Christianity has less to do with you and more to do with all of us taken together. The problem is sometimes we don't get along. Maybe it's an election cycle. Maybe it's racial tension that erupts in the streets. Maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe it's you all for masks. You are all for the masks on the same pew with the person who says, yeah, but I've seen another study that says. Man, even in a climate like that one that Paul is writing to, even a climate like we have here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, United States of America, even now we are supposed to understand ourselves as the gathered up body. in full acknowledgement and recognition of our differences, and yet, and yet, if Paul is right, and by the way, I think he is, we are to understand the other, the other in the other pew, in the other section, in the other party, we are to understand the other as family, and in fact, maybe even more intimate than that, as part of the same body, same body. Oh, okay, then how do we get there from here. Paul's going to say, well, here's one way. 
that we can all kind of get on the same page. We need to recognize that we're only here because of God's mercy, each of us and all of us. In fact, he'll say it like this, just as you were once obedient to God, disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, the Jewish folks, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy, here's that word again, shown to you that they too may now receive mercy. All of that to say this, listen, the only reason any of us is here is because God is merciful. None of us earned our way into this room. The only reason any of us is here is because God is merciful. And if that's true, then why are you looking down your nose at the other person that doesn't happen to agree with you? Well, because he or she is wrong. Well, maybe, but you still have to be careful. <laughs> in your assessment of the other, in your recognition of the differences between you, you have to recognize, you must acknowledge that he or she, the one over there that believes something other than what you believe, is just as dear, just as deserving as you are. This is what Paul's trying to say. Y'all are bickering back and forth, but you don't understand is that you're on level ground where the mercy of God is concerned. Level ground. And Paul sort of erupts in these verses here at the end. Verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? And this is not a throwaway verse, but listen to this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You are renting or borrowing the space from God. The space belongs to God. Don't be pushing other people out of God's space. There is level ground at the cross. I love it when Dr. Reed over at Fairview Missionary Baptist says that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I would submit that the ground is level everywhere in the church. Everywhere. Because it is the mercy of God that qualifies us all to be here, you and your adversary, you and that person who posts that thing, you and the one who believes that other thing. Both of you are only here because of the mercy of God. By the way, me too. It's only by the mercy of God that we are here. And so, mercy, the mercy of God as the backdrop. Now let's hear Paul in these familiar verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by these same mercies of God, to present your bodies, now watch this, to present all of your bodies as a, living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable could have been translated as pleasing to God, which is your spiritual could have been translated as logical, perhaps should have been translated as logical. Perhaps in your Bible it says reasonable, worship, or service. Here's what Paul is saying, and we're going to unpack this in the rest of the sermon. How you connect says something not just about you two who are trying to connect, but how you connect says something loud about God. I am not down on the language that says something like this, Christ lives in me. In fact, that's scriptural, that's biblical, but we must understand this. It is also the intention of God, not just that God would live inside of us, but that God would live between us, in the connection between us. And not just two of us, but all of us. We're a body. We're a body that has different 
members. Listen, Paul is Jewish. Paul is saying, hey, we are still in a sacrificial system. There are rules. There are very specific guidelines and directions. Paul knows all of them by heart. And he is not here letting go of that stuff. He is saying, yep, we are still going to be deeply involved in the sacrificial system. Only this time, when we climb up on the altar, we don't die, we live. But we live in a very specific, different sort of way. Offer your bodies so that all together, like your real lives, not just your spiritual lives, love your spiritual lives, but God wants more than that. Your entirety, offer your entire body, your entire life, all of us, each of us offering our lives, and then we are together a singular living sacrifice, a very different kind of tribe by the time we get outside of this room. Very interesting verse here. Paul continues to talk to, talk to them, and, and he says, look, I get it, you're in a Roman culture. You're in a Roman culture that is actively trying to pull you apart. I, I get it, you're in a Roman culture that loves its own power. It does, it does. That Roman culture loved its own power. In fact, in its mind, in the Roman culture's mind, that's how you get things done is via power. Loved their power. This is how you get things done. In fact, the most powerful are the most important, and the least powerful are happen to be the least important. That's how it works out there. I know that the Roman culture is out there trying to cause division and differentiate between you based on your, your levels of power, success, financial and otherwise. I know that they're trying to conform you even as you come into the church. I know that they're trying to conform you and shape your imagination and shape your eyesight, shape your capacity to hear and see. I know that, but Paul says, you are to be different. Do not be conformed to this world. Could have been translated as era, this chunk of time we're in. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable or pleasing to God and perfect. Jewish folks believed in an ultimate sort of resurrection. They believed that there would come a time when God would, and this is in the Old Testament, but you've heard me say it a lot, when God would finish what God started, heal and mend the earth, heal and mend all of creation, and finally deal a fatal blow to death. Jewish folks believed that. You can even hear it in the Gospel of John. Lazarus has died. Mary comes up and says, oh, if you'd have just been here, if you'd have just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, now, do you not believe in the resurrection? And, and, and she said, well, of course I believe. I believe at the end of all time that there will be this resurrection. Of course I believe that. And Jesus says something that perhaps doesn't startle us enough, but Jesus said, hey, yeah, yeah, that hoped for, ached for day about resurrection, it actually started today. I am the resurrection and the life, said Jesus. And so these Jewish folks believed in the future resurrection. 
Perhaps, though, what they did not completely appreciate was that that future resurrection had come rushing into the present in the death and the resurrection of Christ. In a certain sort of way, you could say that the end had already begun. The end had begun. In the resurrection of Christ, God changes everything, breaks the power of the Roman Empire, and unleashes a different way of being alive, resourced by the spirit of the resurrected Christ. This is why we can say with deep conviction, love wins, love wins, love wins, love wins, because of the resurrection. And the people of God, the body of Christ, the new Israel, the church, OKC first, is supposed to be living in the light of the resurrection, not according to the ways of power, but according to the ways of victorious, suffering love. If this were written to us, it would go something like this. Listen, Paul would say, I know there's a pandemic, and it pits people against one another. Listen. I know that there is racial tension, and we've got some things we've got to work out there that pits people against one another. Listen, I know that there is both economic downturn, and now there is this weird election cycle, which for sure is going to pit different people out there. That is a culture out there, and it seeks to conform you. But Paul will be saying this to us, OKC first. Don't make them, don't allow them to tell you who you are. Don't allow them to shape your posture. Don't allow them to dictate the terms of your life and the definitions of success, but allow the spirit of the resurrected Christ to shape you into a different kind of life form. But allow the resurrection of Christ and the spirit of the resurrected Christ to not only guard you against the current day, but to resource you to live today in the kingdom that is still coming. You will need one another to do that because, again, it's not just because this Jesus lives in you, it's because this Jesus lives between all of us. Verse three, Paul's gonna try to say, listen, yes, you're different, yes, when you're different, it makes it even all the more powerful when you are together. See one another. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. And listen, I don't, I don't, we're not going to tonight, and I'm not sure that we ever should really so focus on the gifts that we miss the larger point that's being made. We need one another in order to be a functioning body. That's the point. Because Christianity is who we are together more than it is who in, more than it is any of us who are on our own. Christianity, yes, has something to do with the Christ who lives in us, but I'm telling you it has even more to do with the Christ who lives and is glorified between us, amongst us, as we live and connect and relate 
one another. I love when N.T. Wright says good things, and he is here saying good things. When Paul speaks of the renewal of the mind, he's alluding to the work of God's own self and the person of the Spirit. The Spirit is even now at work to make the new age a reality. This is where I bring back in Dr. Rick, who's kind of performing a similar role, awakening you to the conforming forces, but also opening you to the transformational forces. And the space-time location where this must happen is none other than the actual bodies of Christians. I love this. Eschatology being the study of the end, not in a terrible way, but in a great way when God finishes what God started. Inaugurated, starts now, eschatology begins at home. Oh, I love that. Going to wrap up here with this. There is this amazing passage with this amazing image that has been a part of our imagination here for a long time. The pastor that preceded me, Dr. Steve Green, brought this to us and, and brought it to life in front of us. It's about this coming king back in Isaiah 11. The prophet was aching out loud in anticipation of this coming king and kingdom. And your Bible and in my Bible, it probably has this as a caption, the kingdom of peace. It talks about this shoot that shall come from the stump of Jesse. And about this kingdom, he says this, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Goes on to say, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den, they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I have great news. This kingdom, this kingdom of peace has already begun. Now, Perhaps you would say, I don't see it. I don't see it. And I'll agree with you. There are times when I don't see it. But I do believe, I do believe that that king has already arrived. I do believe that that king, in his arrival, has already launched this kingdom and given us everything we need, all the resources we need to see that kingdom at times bubble to the surface. You may say that you don't see it. I would say this to you. As you are involved in habits and practices that shape the way that you hear and the way that you see, sometimes you do see it. Sometimes you do see it if you know where to look and if you have the inclination to look. Jason mentioned it earlier in the service. At five o'clock last week, we gathered, just a few of us here, and Tamara sang, and Jason read scripture, and we, we prayed, and I led us through the Eucharist. Lots of people came. Now, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying you're not Christian if you didn't come. I am saying that you might be even more Christian if you had. 
I am saying, I am saying that when we participate in the rhythms of liturgy, I am saying that when we participate in the habits and the practices, please, please, I hope you heard and listened to the announcements. You can actually run this video back and listen to the announcements again. But you have an option on a Wednesday night to pray. You have another option on a Wednesday night to search scripture with Britt. You have another option to search scripture with Jason. That fits into the category of habits and practices. And here's the thing, here's the thing. When you participate in the rhythms of liturgy, in the rhythms of habits and practices, here's what happens over a period of time. You know this, you know this. Over a period of time, it shapes you. Maybe even use the word here, it transforms you. It transforms your imagination. Allows you to see something and consider something. Conceptualize something that you could not have before seen. Communion muscles are in tension with today's win-at-all-cost muscles. Eucharistic imagination is different than election cycle imagination. Christianity is a very different way of being alive. It is not a zero-sum endeavor. It is corporate in nature. It is not individualistic. It starts with the heart of God and the decision that God is always making for us but then it moves not only to us, but through us to the other. It starts in mercy. It extends in mercy. It is different. Distinctive. Peculiar. It is different. Unless it's not. takes work it takes liturgy yes and habits and practices but this word liturgy technically means work the work of the people the work of the people yes it's inevitable that you will be conformed to the patterns and the thinking and the imagination of this world unless unless you're part of a body that gets your entire body involved in the liturgies and the habits and the practices of transformation. One of those habits is confession. One of those disciplines is confession. And so I'm going to pray now a prayer of confession and then I'm going to give it to Jason Smith for prayers of intercession, petition. But perhaps you, like me, have a confession to make. And, and perhaps it, it's as simple as this. I have not worked at this. <laughs> I've not worked at it. Maybe, and listen, six months worth of pandemic, that's long enough to get any of us out of any kind of habit. But it may be time to confess it. It may be time to confess that you are one of those people who needs this rhythm, who needs liturgy, who needs, who needs the rigor of habits and practices 
so that you can get back to that place where you can see what God sees, hear what God hears, especially, especially as it has to do with that other who may or may not be sharing a pew with you right now. And so we confess, God. We confess that we are in fact vulnerable to the patterns of this world, to the thinking of this era. We confess, God, that we get really excited about our opinions, really excited about them, so excited about them, God, that sometimes we broadcast them. We confess, God, that we perhaps are more conformed than we are transformed, especially during a pandemic that seems to have had the power to break all of our best habits. God, reform this body. Draw us back together again. Remarry us to the work that you have for us to do. Give us eyes and ears and hearts for one another. Remind us, God, that we are who we are, first of all, because you have called us, but second, because we are together. We're the gathered up body. And now, church, I invite each of you to pray your own prayer of confession before I close us up with words of confession. May the Almighty God have mercy on you and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life.